welcome back to Deep Focus. My name is Quaid, and I'm here with my co-host Nick. How are you doing today, Nick? Pretty good. Um, I'm a, I'm one beer in today, so I apologize if I slur anything. I am, <laughs> I am a lightweight. <laughs> yeah. No, I had to get my. Uh, as soon as I heard that, I went to the fridge and I grabbed some Carlsberg Perfect. Elephant Pilsner, Perfect. and I'll probably join you a little bit. This is a high alcohol percentage beer, so great. Um, yeah. I'm not a lightweight. The beer is just really very alcoholic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, no, yeah. We were just discussing how, um, I might quit my job soon yeah. to focus on film. Um, like as I've it. said a couple times in the last month or so, but you know, I'm, I'm mentioning it more frequently so it might happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll manifest. Um, yeah. Fuck money, man. <laughs> Um, but anyways, speaking about yeah. fuck money, uh, we watched Okja, which has something to do with that slightly, uh, <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit. And uh, read. exactly, this is a Netflix uh, produced film, uh, 2017 by Bong Joon Ho, uh, if that's how you say it. Yeah, and, we love uh, this guy. Yeah, he's great. Uh, what did you uh, did you discover him with Snowpiercer? Uh, yes, I did. I knew cool, about yeah. him beforehand, but I never watched anything because I did a yeah, quick, yeah, you know, Google like top Asian films yeah. because I wanted to watch and, uh, did I knew do, about um, things like mother and so on, yeah, but mother, I never watched yeah. them. Um, but yeah, this is a film, uh, essentially about just to give, I'll lead off the letterbox synopsis here, but a young girl named Mia risks everything to prevent a powerful multinational company from kidnapping her best friend, a massive animal named Okja. Because last time we started talking about Deep Focus, and I'm not um, not Deep Focus, uh, Pitch Black, <laughs> I'm not sure, uh, you know, if there's people that are going to listen, they don't know anything about it. And so, sure. Um, so we'll 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 do the spoiler warning really quick before we go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, watch the movie. We are not going to hold back on spoilers. Uh, we're also not going to like kind of uh, pander to people who haven't seen it. So. If you want to keep yeah. up if you want to uh avoid spoilers go watch it first and then we'll see you back here yeah and uh nick brought up a good idea in the future at the end of the episode we're gonna tell you what we're gonna be doing over the next week or two so this way if you want to keep up you can watch ahead of time and know what we're gonna talking about yeah so yeah so that's good we'll tell you that at the end of the episode but yeah so back to mr bong jun ho uh He's an interesting director. I, I I feel a sort of a kinship about his his ideas, the mm-hmm. things he decides to make movies about, because it's even in his letterbox description, but I thought about this before reading it. I mean, he makes films about society in many ways. And yeah. he's, they say socially conscious. And it's true when you when you watch something like Snowpiercer, which I think is his masterpiece so far, his best. I one, want to see the director's cut, actually. I do too. But even with not seeing the director's cut, I think it's amazing. Which and it's might... all about, you know, revolutions and, and politics and the way revolutions are built into certain political frameworks and the control of the mind in terms of mm-hmm. what you think is reality. And right. then, of course, you had his recent one, Parasite, the fantastic Parasite, all about class uh, in many ways. That won Best Picture, right? Yeah, it did. It was uh, nice. a deserving cho- uh, a winner, um, unlike... Uh, recent years <laughs> i don't know if i should say it but um <laughs> i mean honestly like i feel like what wins is so arbitrary like yeah. getting nominated should be the uh should be the, the honor you know i agree i agree yeah. and that's how i try to look at it but even then like sometimes when you see what's nominated versus what was made and as you develop yeah. your own taste throughout the year you begin to realize just how distinct it might be from like the the mass of people that's 
responsible for nominating certain films you know yeah while i'm while i'm like mildly drunk here let me just say that i fucking hate award shows <laughs> oh my god like i, I, I know so pretentious it's so self-congratulatory and it's like it, it turns film into a competition. They're, they're like trying to turn it into a fucking sport, yeah. you know, and I'm just sitting here like that's. It shouldn't be a show, frankly. It should be. It should take like an hour long. You know what I mean? It should be so boring. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it should be like. It's like, uh, you know, the, the award show that I like the most that I think has the most credibility of the most is the, the Cannes Film Festival, frankly. And no, Wait, like Cannes? very few people will. What? Cans? Uh, it's called Con. Is um, it? Okay. Yeah, I, I believe so. I, I used to call it Cans as well. And, um, well, anyways, like, no one watches their award show. I think it's, like, live stream, but, like, it's not a thing. But their awards still matter. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that's yeah. the way it should be. Wait, like, didn't this, didn't Okja have, have, like, some sort of a, uh, if I recall correctly, there were, I think it had some sort of, like, thing at Cans where, Cons or Con, whatever it is. Um, but it had some sort of like a uh, um, scandal where like apparently they weren't allowed to enter because they weren't being shown at theaters, but they didn't know that at the time. Or Weird. something. It something says like uh, the Verge article written in May of uh, 2017 uh-huh. title is Netflix boot at Oak Joe's can can's premiere. Uh, I'll start reading here. Netflix's first Cannes film festival kicked off at the Rocky start last night when audiences at Bong Joon-ho's Okja premiered Boo the Netflix title card. Reports from the festival <laughs> say the first 10 minutes of the film were also played in the wrong aspect ratio, leading to more Oh, billing. no. The screening was started, started again from the beginning with the correct ratio, and Netflix's title card was booed again. Louder. Hmm. <laughs> That's so funny. The festival released a statement shortly after apologizing for technical problems. Like, I, I understand. Like you have these people that are so into the film industry and like, you know, this has been their whole lives for their whole lives, you know, and they've made their money in the theater and there's something magical about the cinema and, you know, something like Netflix is taking that away from them. I, I, I get the, well, also, also listen to this. This is interesting yeah. as well. The incident follows weeks of snide back and forth between Netflix, the cons film festival and the national federation of French cinemas. Over the question of whether releasing a movies primarily on streaming platforms somehow delegitimizes de- their standing as cinematic works, Ocha is set for a limited theatrical release in the United States and the UK, and can a I wide just, release in South can Korea. Can I just boo them really quick? <laughs> boo! Not Netflix. The fucking people. I know it's not yeah. cinema, but won't be released um, in French theaters at all due to French law that keeps them from. Uh, that makes them uh, be kept off of streaming platforms for 36 months after the theatrical release. That's See, here, here's the Netflix, thing. Though. Here's, here's um, the thing. If they yeah, were actual, if they were actual artists that really cared about whether they were being played on the silver screen or not, like it's not it, that it's the theaters care about money. It's about fucking exactly. Money. It, it's fucking yeah. greed, right? It's, it's this yeah. idea that, uh, cause I don't love Netflix. I have no special affinity for Netflix. If they make good movies, great, but, they don't always. They make as many good movies as any other studio, frankly. Yeah, opinion. exactly. And yeah. so, you know, I wish every movie could get a silver screen release. Unfortunately, it's not easy. You know what I mean? Make right. it easier. Well, show some exactly, more mid-budget films. Exactly. Right? Diversify like, the, the like, show times, you know. If they really gave a shit about the art form, you know, if if they were no. if they were as uh Yeah. You can't be on a streaming service. You can't be on a streaming service. Uh, if and if you are, you know, if you do show in the theaters, you can't be on it for 36 months. 
you know, so we're going to punish you. But by the way, the only thing we're going to show are Disney movies. 90% of our screening <laughs> slots are going to go to Disney movies. So right. you're sort of, it's catch 22. You're sort of fucked. Fuck you. You know? Right. It sucks. I don't know. It, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and there's such a double standard. And I think, you know what? That is a great segue into this film. <laughs> segue. Yeah. But anyways, no, yeah, but, we were on, uh, but this this film centers kind of around this idea of corporate greed and how it kind of tramples on everything. Um, yeah, the film opens up with like a commercial, frankly, a, a yeah. sort of a, sort of like a, a if a press conference was a, more of a commercial, and it's all about you know a sort of company with a shitty past getting that like shiny coat of um, uh, new you know like mainstream public opinion or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I want to say almost woke, frankly. And, um, right. it, you know, it's very similar, you know, and that's one thing I love about this movie going on. What you're talking about is uh, it shows that double standard. And uh, that's something that happens today, frankly, is you have like, say a bank, frankly, and what yeah. are they doing? They're charging obscene interest rates on credit cards. They're getting people into privatized student debt, you know, that they know they're never gonna be able to pay off with their stupid degrees. And, they're charging obscene fees for overdrafts and all this sort of shit. And they're over financializing the economy, which makes it teeter whenever one market crashes and all these sort of things. But as long as they have the correct infomercials and uh, commercials and marketing and donate to the right causes, right? That's what really matters. Not the actual shit that right. they do. Right. So. Yeah. No, like it's, it's so funny watching this, these like corporate, uh, uh, corporate figureheads in this film because they're like so obsessed with their image. You know, yep. um, all of them, you know, yep. um, which, uh, you know what, before we, before we really get into that, I just want to put a pin in that and say, I fucking love the acting talent in this film. Yeah, it's good. Like Jake Gyllenhaal, Tilda Swinton, uh, crap. I can't Paul remember Dano. That. Yeah. Paul Dano. Oh my God. He, I think this is actually my favorite of Paul Dano's characters. Yeah. Um, there's also, um, Gus Frank. From uh, yeah, yeah. Bad. From I, I don't know his name though. Like uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was great too. But um, no, yeah. So so basically, uh, there's a. I actually want to talk about um, this film's effect on me the first time. Sure. So obviously, after you watch this film, you just like feel horrible about eating animals, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh. But, you know, I kind of justified it to myself. I was like, I was like, you know what? This animal is very kind of like anthropomorphized. It had a lot of human intelligence and stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then literally like not three days later, right? This article falls on my lap about how pigs are actually the second most intelligent animal on the planet or something, right? I don't know if they're actually the second most intelligent, but they're like comparable to uh, dolphins, you know, and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I'm watching this video of this pig, like learning to speak with like paint and letters, you know? Yeah, I was just watching the elephant paint and I was like, fuck me. It's insane how, how good they can paint. Right, right, and then this pig's like playing video games, yeah. you know, like simple video games, and like understands its like the vision, its vision of itself in a mirror and stuff, and like yeah. those, um, and then can like outperform, uh, like three year old humans. Sure, you know this full grown pig, and I was like, oh shit, 
<laughs> you know, yeah. and and then suddenly when I kind of realized that maybe this this animal in this film wasn't so anthropomorphized. Mm-hmm. You know, that it was maybe a little more accurate than I was willing to believe. That's when I was like, all right, well, I'm not eating pig anymore. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. But I haven't I haven't eaten pig. Uh, I, actually, you know, what? I've eaten pig, uh, I think, once or twice since then on accident. But I have consciously made an effort not to eat pigs anymore. Yeah. Um, Or any of the other like 10 most sentient animals on the planet. Uh, because yeah. that was like the, that was like the most important thing for me when I watched this movie was like, um. It, it, it wasn't so much that it was an animal or the horrible treatment, which, you know, is all horrible, but sure. Um, it was more so the idea of eating someone's friend. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's like eating a dog or a cat, you know? No, that's exactly what it is. And they, like you said, they anthropomorphize it in this film to such a degree. To talk about, I have an interesting backstory with this film as well. And in, in a sure. way, like not, I just watched it, but my sister was a huge sort of animal rights person growing up. So like when I was 10 oh, years cool. old and she was like 12, 13, I was like 11, you know, uh, she was getting into the whole elf thing, quite literally elf. Like oh, cool. She was like, PETA is not real. You know, PETA sucks. It's all about elf. It's all about the animal liberation. Yeah. Fight. Yeah. And uh, she was like writing letters to elf members and in, in prison. And so I got to see at a young age the videos of factory farming and like, you know, circuses beating the shit out of elephants and this sort of thing, all this really horrific shit. And when you're like 11 years old, it's like, holy shit. They're like, gruesome, like the most gruesome shit. That's like taking like saws to life pigs and shit like this. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I knew it was horrifying and my family, you know, there was, there was actions we took. She obviously, she's a vegetarian, sometimes vegan to this day. And, um, we, you know, we didn't eat fast food for probably seven years and we bought okay. cow shares. So that's how you get around the regulations of, cause you know, the government's d- dumb and stupid. So they're like, Oh, you want healthy meat? You want to buy it from, you know, an actual farm that treats their animals well and like knocks them out before they're slaughtered. So it's like, they just sort of go to sleep right. and, then, you know, well, yeah. no, you can't do that. So what you have to do as a workaround is to buy a percentage share of the cow so that when it's slaughtered, <laughs> Okay. You're just getting what you own rather than buying um, right, right. the meat. And so we did all that sort of stuff. And I'm not going to pretend like if I'm at Wendy's or something, I'm not going to like order a burger. You know, I'm not that right. committed to the cause. So I'm not going to pretend that. Sure. But sure. I definitely, when I am like at the store, I definitely like want to grab the free range stuff. Yeah. And uh, make it make somewhat of an effort. Well, so know, the, the I would say thought, just real um, fast. Yeah. yeah I would ahead. say, uh, this film didn't teach me anything new in a sense. Like I, I knew sure, the message. You're already there. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's such a, it's such a powerful emotional um, yeah. message at the end though. Oh yeah. That, um, that, that's a horrific scene at the end. Yeah. Um, um horrifying. But uh, no, I, I think what's interesting about this film is that I, I actually don't think it's actually promoting like vegetarianism, you know, um, it's not. Well, cause, cause they even say at the beginning, her favorite foods, uh, uh chicken soup. Exactly. Right, this girl. And she's, um, you know, fishing and she does it with care. So she's going to get the fish and eat them. But remember, she sends the small fish back. You know, there's right, these right. little moments. Exactly. And yeah, there, there's like care involved and there's uh, there's attentiveness, yeah. you know. Um, it's not done in this uh, truly careless way. You know, not not like, oh, I tripped over myself careless, but to, to exist without care. Yeah. You know, and I think I think the goal of the film was really to get people to think about where their food comes from 
you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I completely agree. Just to make the a small step or just to be aware. Right. Right. Um, I definitely think, yeah, I don't think it's about vegetarianism. I think it's the idea of trying to just be respectful of life and respectful of animals and know that yeah, exactly. even though this one is anthropomorphized, um, animals Maybe do not by observe much, a degree of respect. Exactly. Not even yeah. by much. Cause frankly, it acts like a dog. Dogs act like this. Well, pig, pigs are smarter than dogs and, you know, yeah, and dogs act like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It looks like a hippo. I got to say that. It doesn't look it, like a pig. It does. It looks like a fucking hippo. It does. Um. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like if pigs are smart enough to like learn language and remember you for like their entire lives and, you yeah. know, solve puzzles and stuff, like I'd assume that like. I mean, this dogs is, can be trained to dial 911 if you're having a seizure. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like this this super pig isn't too far off from a non-super pig. Yeah. You know? Um, exactly. Maybe, maybe the facial expressions and such are a little more um, yeah, the, humanized. Yeah, the use of the eyes. Yeah. But as far as, like, what it does and its connections with people, like, no. Like, you, you can absolutely um, – like, I I have a uh, – one, one of my girlfriend's friends has a pet pig. You know, sure. and it's it's Fine. way smarter than a dog. Yeah. Um, also depends on the breed of the dog. That's true. Have you ever, uh, have you ever met a collie? Those dogs yeah, collies are, are crazy. Yeah. Um, dogs are smart as fuck. But yeah, no, I I, I read somewhere. Don't you don't, dare tell me. Don't that no don't pig is me. smarter than no dog. Okay. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> don't quote me on this, but like I, I read somewhere that uh, uh, chimps are like kind of the equivalent to a nine-year-old human. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only other animal in the world that's equivalent to a human is a pig, and it's equivalent to like a three-year-old human. Okay. Um, which is kind of crazy to me. Dolphins as well. Yeah. Uh, well, dolphins don't even um, get to the human uh, standard, apparently. Yeah, but even that, like, you're you're you know, not to like dig into this too deep, but like this is like ranked in terms of human intelligence. That you know, there's like a that's different, true. Yeah. You yeah, know, they have their own true. sort of realm of of thought. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what it is. It's just about respecting them. It's also about like if you were to have your own sort of uh, substance farm or even if you were to go farther than just substance and try to sell something like the farmer's market, whether you're butchering animals or it's animal products or, you know, just crops, you know, don't make yeah. friends with the <laughs> with the animals <laughs> you're going to slaughter. Treat them well. Treat them with respect. Right. Give them a slaughter where they just go to sleep and they don't, you know, they don't feel a thing. But right. Don't become friends with the, the animals you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna you know, sell yeah. as meat. Yeah, I think it's interesting too because like, um, I always thought it would be like an interesting political cartoon to have like a an American protesting the Japanese killing dolphins and eating them while like chewing on a piece of bacon. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's true. That's but true. uh, no, it's it's uh, to kind of tie this back into the movie, um. So this whole film starts with uh, this competition where mm-hmm. there's these super pigs and, you know, they're going to send them out. GMO. These, yeah. <laughs> these Made local, in the laboratory. Right, right. Which, like, that's not the story that they tell to the public, but they send them out to all these uh, farmers. It's kind of like this political stunt, yeah. you know, and they're going to say that, like, oh, these farmers bred these super pigs, you know, now mm-hmm. have this super pig meat and they're going to roll it out with this, like, good face when, in fact, they're just, like you know, growing these pigs in labs, a ton of them are just like deformed and yeah, you know, it's, it's horrific. And that's the, you know, the horror show, the factory farm. Right. Um, 
you know, they, they live their entire lives in like these um, metal containers. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, yeah, no. So this girl's uh, super pig is like the biggest super pig, you know, and mm-hmm. so they're going to take her back and they're going to make a whole spectacle of this super pig and then they're going to kill it and, you know, sell it. Yeah. Um, and they develop this really sincere friendship, like much like what you would see between a dog and a human. Yeah. Well, one thing I spotted about this film, as you're saying, you know, it is a part of that subgenre of films called The Boy and His Dog, essentially, which are mm-hmm. famous for bittersweet endings. And this one doesn't disappoint, disappoint whatsoever. Oh, not uh, at all. In that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I've always liked um, this director because he, he he makes some of the most depraved characters. Yeah. You know, uh, like not just in the way that we always see, because we, we always see the murderous bastard. Yeah. You know, and, but like, we, we rarely see like, like a lot of the other, you know, deadly sins and characters, mm-hmm. you know, and like her, her grandfather, right. Where yeah. he's just like, he's so easily selling this pig and he like gives her that golden pig. Like it's going to make it better. Yeah. You know, and like any time I, I loved how whenever she was trying to get away from him, she would just like throw cash. Yeah. And he would like, <laughs> he would like go for that for a second. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah. Uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal. I yeah. Mean, I was yeah, not expecting fame, this is the right? first time. Exactly. This is the yeah. first time uh, in a movie where I've watched an animal rape scene, which was really shocking. Yeah. He gets Okja raped right just watching this and you're just like what the fuck am i watching yeah it's so dark (laughs) he's just like lying there drunk as shit afterwards i know like even he can't live with himself yeah um no but uh my what what i do love about this this film in particular of his is i think um there's a rare occurrence in this film and I think it's actually Paul Dano's character where you have you like have this like almost like beacon of light um, in like amidst all these dark people. Yeah. You know, and I, I would say that like he's like, I want to call him self-righteous, but I'm going to drop the self because I don't think it's like a perception for him. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not a perception thing. He's just like, has this like righteous connection to animals, yeah. you know? And he has this righteousness about how he goes on his, on throughout his life. And it's, it's like very much a, I feel like a life choice, you know, being the leader of this ALF um, sect, mm-hmm. you know? And he takes it so seriously. And I like, I love that. Uh, I love that their whole organization like won't hurt people either. Yeah, you I don't know. think that's a real thing, but <laughs> yeah, or be. at least at least their research. Yeah, at least their like little sect here doesn't hurt people, you know. Yeah. And I thought that was so like um I don't even know the word for it. It was like I, I want to say naive, but I don't I don't think that that's not the right word. Like childish? Sure. You know. I mean, they were, you know, he was one interesting thing was um Bong was definitely sort of parroting both the uh, the good guys and the bad guys to some degree, you know, they were mm-hmm. both funny, which I think right. worked really well for the elf guys. But my, my only thing that I didn't like was 
the humor relating to the bad guys, frankly. That was yeah. my one issue with the entire thing, which is a small issue. Was I think just defeated like how depraved this sort of thing is and what they're doing is. But I well, I think it was think- um the good guys definitely you they were like self it came off like uh it was like the 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 narrative was self aware of you know right. how slightly ridiculous they were even though they're definitely the righteous and right hearted. Well, it's like when you when you look at the context of the world, right, where like all this horrific shit happens, like you see the you see the uh, you see the cause that they've picked up and you're like, well, I mean, is that the most important thing? But then like, you know, you see their conviction to it and you're like, well, I mean, I can't like knock them at all. Yeah. yeah. You know, and Not, it's the just guy this... that doesn't even eat plants, you know, yeah, <laughs> all food production is exploitative. <laughs> right. Uh, but um. Uh, you know what? I actually loved, I think, I think the humor worked well in two regards, right? Um, so the humor, I'm, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit on the humor with the bad guys. I was expecting that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the only reason is because I think it, it's actually juxtaposed later when her, when, uh, Tilda Swinton's twin sister, Hil- Tilda Swinton, uh, <laughs> when she takes over. Right. And she's just like, she like lacks the total image concern and you know, she, she is just this kind of like depraved um, individual. Yeah. I definitely get that. My issue is they're presented. uh, It's not even just humor, but they're presented outlandishly, almost uh, cartoonishly. Sure. And it's like, no, the there's people like this, you know, that do run these, these businesses very knowingly. Right. Right. uh, They look normal and they act normal and what they're doing is depraved. Yeah. And I just feel like it just undercuts it a little bit. It makes it otherworldly rather than real, which it should feel That's real. Um, maybe, but like maybe I said, it was, it's a small thing. It's a small issue. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't well, think I think that was also the, the point because if I think if the point was to make it feel real, they would have used like a normal animal, you know? Yeah. And I, I but think, I think the degree, the reason they did is they wanted the, this fake animal to be more human like, to make you more connected. Right. Well, I think the the whole point of it being otherworldly was that like it's almost presented in the same way that like science fiction and fantasy is where like you have this like separation from it because you're like, oh, this isn't our world. Yeah. And then and then when you realize that this is our world, you know, it really sets in and it makes it makes it almost like your idea rather than um, something that the filmmaker was trying to shove down your throat. Sure. And maybe my you know. disagreement there is just like, I hope that it does feel that way to people. I hope they don't come away thinking it's too fake, you know, whether it's subconscious yeah. or not. Yeah. It I is mean, interesting I- that the genres listed are action, adventure, drama, and science fiction. You know, this yeah. is, in my opinion, a drama, which is to say it's not a genre film. Right, um, right. But, um, you know, it's listed as science fiction. I mean, it makes sense, though. It is technically science fiction. Yeah, but it's not a genre yeah. film. You know what I mean? Like, Definitely that's purely not. descriptive. Right. But no, when, uh, yeah. So when the ALF was kind of like, um, introduced in this movie, um, like they're, they're definitely presented in this humorous way and like, they kind of get less and less humorous Mm -hmm. as it goes on. And, uh, I, there was that, uh, that, uh, John Denver song at the end. Um, when I think it was like during the whole, I think it's Annie song. Okay. But it it was like at the very end during the whole like rally thing, when all the ALF people came out and they started, uh, getting beaten 
you know, and it was, it was this like, I feel like it was this moment that juxtaposed the comedy really, really well, you know, and you see these people that like you laughed um, at and with and that really cared about Okja, the main character. And like you, there, there was like that sincerity uh, from Paul Dano's character, you yeah. know, which you're like, you're, you're the whole time you're thinking there's no way this guy's for real, you know? Sure. And then when you see him like getting, like saving her from the truck and getting Billy clubbed over the head by these, like, you know, uh, like the SWAT team. Yeah. You know, that's when you realize that like, Oh, this, this isn't an act for this guy. Like, even though it seems ridiculous to us, it's, it's very yeah. real for him. Yeah, you no, know, absolutely. And, I, and this is, um, this is uh, exemplified after he makes, uh, a couple of mistakes and maybe one, uh, uh, area of uh, hypocrisy as well where well one of the mistakes isn't his it's his underling when he purposely lies about the translation yeah and therefore gives okja over to the company even though our main character doesn't want it right and then he does initiate violence against one of his underlings once he realizes right. that he lied about the translation yeah. and then there's that moment where he's about to, to beat okja because in a moment of panic she doesn't know what she's doing and she's about to hurt her main character right um, right so like he is very humanized and he right. does care. Um, but I would say as well, I also feel like there's uh, something going on here and maybe this is me reading into it, but there's that, you know, she says when they're telling her their plan and it's getting translated to her and they're like, uh, this is what we want to do. And she's like, no, I just want to go back to the mountains with Okja. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> leave me out of this. I want to go back to the mountains with Okja. I think that's part of it, frankly. And yeah. I think that's part of what the ending's about as well is, there's there's hope for the good fight, but there's also a certain degree of pessimism, especially in the in the short term. Oh where, yeah, where it's just like, yeah, you know what? Just go to the fucking mountain with your with your super pig, and just right. don't you know, don't get involved with all this. You know, um, do what good you can in your own life, but you know, hopefully the good guys will win out sometime. But it's like an equally valid option to just like go to your cabin in the woods, and that really spoke to me because I'm definitely one of those people that's like, you know what, things don't work out. One day, one of these days, I'm just going to get a, get a cabin in the woods in Montana, you know, and I'm just going to live yeah. there. <laughs> well, I think, I think having a pessimistic ending like this too, where like, you know, yeah. it is a happy ending, but it is definitely bittersweet, you know, um, I, I would even go so further than saying that it's bittersweet and say that there, there is like the happy part of this ending and then the horrific part of this ending. Yeah. But in the other right? order. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Um, but I actually, um. I don't want to go into too too much detail because this is uh, the script that I'm currently writing. <laughs> um, I, I have a similar thing where uh, I have this horrific ending, but then it ends in, on a happy note. Yeah. Right. Um, and the whole point of that is to create kind of this call to action for people, you know, and kind of show that like, like there is nothing that this one individual can do to solve this problem. Sure. You know, there's literally nothing that this one individual t- can do. And it, it takes the entire tribe. Yeah. You know, um, and there's a lot of problems like that in the world. And like, there's not a lot of people kind of being truthful and honest about what it takes to solve those problems. No, I mean, it's completely true. I mean, I recently listened to someone talk about sort of this exact issue some months ago online. And they were saying, you know, I went to the store and, they had uh, like some, I think some sort of uh, branch uh, um, franchise of stores, I guess that's how you would call it. Um, yeah. I decided to stop selling 
maybe it was a local store or something, but they decided to stop selling factory farmed meat. Mm-hmm. And so this guy was like, oh, that's all great. You know, and he sort of communicated in the sense like, I, I love the idea of this, but I would never take time. You know, I just don't think about it. I just don't take time out of my day to think about this, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it was actually a law that some sort of town passed or something outlawing it. And he's okay. like, so that's great. And he's like, I think most people are like me in the sense, like we would cheer on a law like this being passed, but like individually, we're not really going to do anything. You know, it's just not something we're committing our time to, but I would love to see it happen. Well, and that's so, why I think, that's yeah. why I think Oaks is so great as a film, because like, um, especially when people aren't really educated about all this, you know, like I wasn't before I watched this film and like, this is what really pushed me into, you know, actually yeah. looking into this stuff. And mm-hmm. Like, this is why, you know, I do avoid uh, factory farm meats now and I don't eat pig at all, you know? Yeah. Like, I've completely come off pig just like I would not eat a dog or a cat or an elephant, you know? Yeah. Um, or a dolphin, right? Um, but yeah, maybe I'm, like, even a little bit more sympathetic. Uh, like, I agree, like, mass action would be nice, but frankly, like, why the fuck are our leaders already doing it? You know what I mean? They would be yeah. universally praised. It's not a partisan issue. You know, people would like to make it out like it's a partisan issue, but it's not, you know, right, right. or left, you know, whatever you believe, it's not a partisan issue. It's like the environment. No one likes to see a, a polluted lake, you know, whatever right. people might believe about climate change. They don't want things to be polluted. They want things to be clean. So right. there's the solving the issue right there. You know, it's the same thing. Like no one likes watching the videos of the factory farmed animals. No one likes knowing that their meat is pumped full of chemicals. No one likes it, you know? Right. But, the, you know, so like, why don't the leaders just do it? Well, they're paid off. They're corrupt. They don't have a lot of power to begin with. Yeah. You know? So, well, and, you know, that's part of the pessimism, you know? Right. But, but something like this, where, um, like if a movie like Oakja can get people to consider what they can do on their own. Right. Like just stop eating this stuff. Right. Um, And like, I know that's the common like vegetarian argument, but honestly, like I think, I think vegetarian and vegetarians and vegans actually do a little bit more harm spreading their message um, in for this cause in particular, just because like they're going so extreme. They turn people off. Yeah, exactly. Where, where if you're like, Hey, just avoid meats that are from this area, like maybe consider stop eating pig. Well, this is what I was even talking to my sister about recently, where I was like, you know, um, the animal rights and the environmentalists, they have an issue. And the issue is this. Outdoors men and women, uh, cowboys and cowgirls, uh, hunters and farmers don't like them. In fact, they hate them. And that's a huge issue because those are the rural people. Those are, you know, the caricatures of the rural people. And you need to have the people that are actually outside in the environment on your side instead the animal well, rights people and the environmentalists right, exactly. uh all live in fucking cities primarily you know that's an exaggeration right, right. you get what i'm saying like you need to be able to meet these people halfway but instead it's become an identity it's become something that i'm going to talk about how good i am and i'm right. gonna wear it you know i'm gonna do a sense of style i'm gonna put it on my sleeve and i you know it's it's all about projecting a certain image right as, and, and, and these hunters and farmers like that respect life you know, and yeah. are aware of it and um, treat it with dignity. And, you know, they still eat meat, but, you know, they're not torturing their animals and mass yeah. uh, farming them in factories. It's not GMO and it's not chemicals. Right, right. Like, those should be your allies. They should be. 
But instead, you know? they run ads like PETA talking about how hunters are like murderers or something, you know? Right. So it's right. just totally self-defeating. Well, and it's it's like, it's it would be easy to get those people on your side, right? Yeah. It should be. Should ex- you know, in the history, if you actually look at the history of things like animal rights and environmentalism, it came yeah. from those people. And then in the 60s, 70s, it sort of turned around and it, it became the domain of uh, people who, frankly, in the majority do not live in the environment. They don't live in the rural areas. They don't take care of livestock, you know, and that's yeah. an issue. Whenever I hear something like that, I always wonder if it's like a manipulation, you know, like if if the other side came and like pushed a little harder on the side that opposed them to make them extremists. You know, (laughs) you never know. Uh, But that's that's my conspiracy brain firing off some science. Yeah. Everything's a (laughs) sap if you think about it hard enough. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no. uh, So in, uh, but hold on real fast before you go again, you were talking about money in terms of people making mass action. And I think that's, that's in this movie as well. Um, in particular, uh, there's the, um, sorry, my computer stopped again and I was hoping no that we were still recording. Um, where she buys Okja at the end with a, a golden pick. You know, the golden yeah. pick her father gave her as a consolation yeah. prize for her best friend going to get murdered. And um, <laughs> and so, sorry. no, that's, yeah, that's, that's okay. So but that's, horrible. that's in there where it's like, yeah. uh, you know, these people respond to money. And if they're, you know, and there's a critique of the American consumer in there in particular of, you mm-hmm. know, at the end of the day, they're going to buy it, you know, it'll be buy because it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Which hasn't happened yet. I'll say that much. There has been a big push on all of this sort of like fake meat and genetically yeah. modified stuff. But I feel like the movie's right. Eventually, like people would just accept it. And that's pretty horrifying. So. Yeah. I love how like cleanly packaged yet disgusting the jerky looked. In yeah. this movie, the pig jerky, super pig jerky. Yeah, dude, I used to have a friend that eat that shit. Like it used to. Really? It's not a. Yeah, it's not like a grocery stores. It's like at convenience stores, you know, like Seven Eleven. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was just always like, just freaked the fuck out by watching him eat that. It was like, it just looks so bad. Yeah. But no, just yeah, no, having kind of kind of having this relationship with Okja in this film. You know, where you kind of see through the lens of this young girl who grew up with this animal and it's her best friend, you know, and then seeing all of these um, like food products. It was just it, it was horrific in the way a lot of horror movies are, mm-hmm. um, but it was also like i mean even the way that he filmed it was like you know he used kind of those dark blues and stuff when he was in the slaughterhouses and yeah. the, the labs and shit and like it made it feel like a horror movie and i think i think that kind of lends into this whole idea that the whole movie feels like it's otherworldly you know mm-hmm. like i don't think there's ever a point in this film where i'm like oh yeah this feels like earth you know sure. everybody from like the alf to like i kind of when I watch this film, I almost feel like Wes Anderson vibes where, oh, okay. where like not, not Wes Anderson specifically in terms of style, but just in the, in the aspect that uh, it, it is real life, but it feels like it's not. Yeah. There's you know, a, there's a semi, I mean, surreal is the wrong word, but it's like a cartoon. enhanced version of reality. Yeah. Cartoony. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the ALF always, um, like I particularly love that part where um, 
Paul Dano's in the in in her changing room, you know, sure. and he has the little like uh, <laughs> card, the translation cards. <laughs> yeah, and, and then he just like walks out of the window, goes like. Uh, glides down this like um, ladder <laughs> yeah, you know and changes his costume and like blends back into the crowd and i was just like this is so absurd you know and i love it <laughs> translation <laughs> you <know>? is sacred <laughs> yeah. I, oh yeah and then the guy has that tattooed on his arm later yeah yeah that was yeah. and that, that's like his redemption yeah uh, i love it absolutely um, but actually while we're talking about it i love like the whole post credit scene where, you know, you see this guy getting Paul Dano's character getting released from jail. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, and what's, what's that guy's name? He he was in the walking dead, right? Yeah. Um, I will try to find it here. Yeah. Uh, Steve Ewan. Steve Ewan. Yeah. So St- Steve Ewan's like, Steven. Uh, what? Steven. Sorry. Steven Ewan. Okay. Um, so he's like smoking a cigarette outside of the, um, prison and Paul Dano comes out and he like offers him the cigarette, just like puts it out yeah. on his uh, on his shoe and then just like puts his hand on his shoulder. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he just cares about him so much, but he's like so just like I just keep wanting to say like self righteous about it, but I know you know it's just it's such a brilliant character and it is you know, true. Yeah, they get in the bus and there's like old lady that doesn't go know what's going on. But like he basically got out of prison <laughs> and immediately just went to go, you know, save the world. Yeah, right yeah. back to it. Yeah, right yeah. back to it. And I, I love that whole like epilogue back at the end, you know, um, mm-hmm. because Interesting you kind of wonder what happened okay. to them, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I like it. And it's the, it's you know, the fight goes on, which I like. Right. Uh, I like exactly. watching that. Um, but the interesting thing, here's what goes through my mind. You want to know how Quaid thinks? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Let's see how Quaid thinks. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if this, this connects with anyone or if they all think I'm crazy. <laughs> so about the whole smoking thing, you know? Yeah. And I was just thinking while watching that credit scene, I was like, when you think about it, like what was the, I bet it wasn't that bad. I bet it was probably even a little better than nowadays, but the life expectancy when smoking was like a thing that everyone did. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I, I bet it was better than it is nowadays. I think I think it would be better. Uh, yeah, I think it would be better if people were smoking rather than eating factory farm food from fast food restaurants. Frankly, mm. I think it'd be better for you. Interesting. So yeah. let's go back to smoking, and then let's eat you know free range beef. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, at you least know, just get at the least with smoking, you're this. killing yourself, right? I know, right? Yeah, it's not. It's you're not killing something else. But I, I would bet. I think. You know, I need to look it up, but my intuition is telling me that, you know, heart disease probably takes you a bit earlier than, than lung cancer. Interesting. So. Yeah. And you know what? There's some people that do both. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, and but, uh, also people become fat and unhealthy because of this, the, the factory farms and the fast food restaurants, as yeah, opposed definitely. to at least remaining thin because of smoking, you know? Yeah. Um. So that's how I think. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so people need a release. They need a vice, you know, a small one. But I think uh, the amount of horror and harm involved in factory farming is a lot smaller than, you know, tobacco farming. So. Yeah. Now, I do want to point out, though, that like as far as insights go, like this one's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, but I love what. How would you put it? How would I put this insight? Yeah. Um. Uh, like succinctly, uh, I'd have to think about it for a second, but probably something along the lines of like, you know, 
uh, being aware of what you eat because you could be eating yeah. someone's best friend. Yeah, that you and know? also just, you know, respect life. Frankly. Right, right. So. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's... it's uh, how should I say this? It's... I feel like this director is such a master of craft, you know? Mm-hmm. And even when he has a simple insight with this, like this, you know, it's just done so perfectly and with such, uh, like style, you know, he, he pulled, I feel like he's going to be considered kind of like, um, like a Tarantino or Wes Anderson where like his style is very distinct, Sure, you know, and you can see it very clearly, but also at the same time. Uh, I think he, he has, I would actually argue that he has more substance than uh, those two, you know, and he's kind of in this, sure. like, he's kind of in this in-between ground where, you know, he's, he's a direct, he's both a director of style and sub- substance, which is like a really cool place to be. Yeah. You know, um, and every single one the of the styles a bit has, understated too. You know what I mean? Sorry, what? His style's a bit understated as well compared to those guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think Okja was the first one where I really saw it, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I, I saw Snowpiercer first and then I went back and watched the host. Um, I haven't watched mother yet, but, uh, um, then I watched uh, parasite after, um, all those, but, um, I, I really feel like with Okja first and then parasite, his style is becoming a, a lot more clear, you know? And, I don't know. As as far as visually, I think it manifests in like the wide shot, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Steven Spielberg. Hmm. You know, uh, maybe not so much like his use of wonders or anything, but uh, more of how he kind of frames it up. So like everything is, uh, it almost feels like the entire scene is collected in his one shots. You know, or, sorry, in his, in his wide shots. Sure. Um, where how should I put this? Where like. It's it's almost like it showcases every single set piece, you know, kind of like okay. the beginning of like a stage play or something where they kind of show the whole set and um, like scenery that you're getting into. Okay. Um, but it's it's like just you know it's not it's not always just like shot at a straight on angle, but like it, it feels like everything in in the frame has its place in the wide shot, you know. And I I really like that, and I think. Uh, oh, you know what? Actually, I, I'd almost feel like there's not a lot of empty space in his wide shots. Yeah. You know, Definitely. like th- there's almost this like cluttered feeling, which I, yeah, I like. I mean, lot. it's similar to what you're saying about Wes Anderson or something where the the frame lives, you know, the, right. You know, there's all these sorts of things happening in the background, you know. So, right, right. Multiple things in each shot. You know, there's there's a vocal point, but it's not just the vocal point. Yeah. Um. Another interesting thing about the visuals of this film, and I was like, this, I was watching this film and I was like, you know, this is a very beautiful film. Who shot this? And then I would argue this cinematographer is one of the underrated, most underrated cinematographers. He's a great cinematographer. People mm-hmm. have praised him time and time again. Yeah. But he's sort of underrated. You don't hear his name a lot when people are talking about the the greats. And I would argue he is a great. And that's Darius Kanji. Seven. Okay. This is the guy who oh. shot Seven, one of my all-time favorite films. Interesting. He's shot Uncut Gems as well, Midnight in Paris. He does a lot of Michael wow. Haneke's movies, Amour and Funny Games. He does, um, who is it? What's the guy's name? He did The Immigrant in The Last City of Z. Um, really? And he also wow, did this Ad guy's Astra. really good. 
Yeah, James Gray. He does a lot of James Gray movies. He did. Okay. Um, uh, he also did Delicatessen. I forget what the Jean Pierre Genet. That guy, yeah. his movies creep me out, but I think they're great. Um, <laughs> so he's done. He's a he's an amazing. You know, another Fincher movie, Panic Room. Okay. Uh, he's done so many great movies that Is are Panic the Room, the one that had that like one hundred percent CG shot. I don't know, maybe, but uh, um, that was it was like all in a house, and it was just like yeah, these yeah. impossible like maneuvers through tiny objects. Yeah. Um, well, the uh, Fincher also did that with Fight Club, I think. Oh, did so, he? Okay. Yeah. But anyways, like he's got a host of beautiful movies here. And I just, mm-hmm. I was thinking, I literally thought of seven while watching the movie and um, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, this guy uses the camera so well. Yeah. So I agree, but um, it's great. I, the immigrant and seven are two of the most beautiful movies I've seen in my life. And uh, so, yeah, th- th- there's great talent on this movie. Yeah. Great definitely. talent. Um. This guy was known for shooting uh, perfume commercials before he became a big time DP. Interesting. So you know, perfume commercials are pre- usually shot pretty well for some reason. Yeah, but uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, that's why uh, Fincher wanted to use him for Seven, as he wanted okay. that sort of that beautiful cinematography on like such something so gritty. You know. Yeah. So. Maybe it's, maybe it's because they're going for like some uh, semblance of beauty and not really trying to because like perfume is such a. Uh, like it's not a physical object, you know, like mm-hmm. they have to almost like sell the perfume through the art in the frame. Okay. I'm wondering if that's why, um, they usually look more, uh, you know, yeah. well thought out. Well, a lot of commercials these days anyways are all about the, the sort of quick humor. Right. Right. It's sort of pathetic, frankly, but, uh, started by what Geico. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. but let's speak about some of the other talent. Um, there's a writer on it that wasn't uh, Bong Joon-ho, and that was Ron Johnson. And Ron Johnson wrote Frank. I don't know if you ever watched Frank with Michael Fassbender. I don't it's think I did. It's a great little indie comedy. Very good. And then also one of my favorite sort of like mainstream comedies, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Mm, I love that one. So, yeah. It's yeah. cool to see that he his movies are far in between, but it's really cool to see uh, that guy still doing stuff. Yeah. But, so. Um. Yeah, so I w- I would want to play um I would want to play um Annie Hall by or sorry not Annie Hall Annie's song by John Denver, but I also don't want to like mess with uh like licensing law. Sure, because <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if Just that's covered in like uh, free use. Well, I don't know um, if any of it is, but we're you know what I mean. Like, well, I mean, I don't think they're coming yeah, after us. Yeah. For films I mean, we're talking about the movie, music made for the movie. That's like one thing, but like if they licensed out a song that was made by someone else for the movie, that's kind of an iffy area. So, yeah, um, yeah. So let's. I would say, like, after we show the director interview, if you want to go, like, kind of hear a good indicator of the type of mu- music that's in this film, uh, go listen to. Uh, any song by John Denver on Spotify um, or Apple yeah. music or wherever you are. But uh, yeah, no, we're not going to play it. <laughs> yeah. I'll try to, I'll, I'll put a link to it uh, on YouTube in the description. Cool, cool. Um, so. But yeah, no, uh, there, it's, it's kind of a mix of uh, that. Yeah, Cause what did you think about the, uh, the composition, you know, the, the music. Like, I, was I there even really a composer? It, frankly, cause I felt there like was, just... and then I was sort of surprised by that. Cause I didn't remember it at all. And I was like, well, then that must mean, because uh, composer was Jung Jae-il, I think. Uh, really? You wouldn't really. I don't think you would know anything. He did Parasite as well as uh, 
by the looks four other Korean movies that we wouldn't know. Yeah, because I know they used some Bach in there somewhere, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I I only really or was it Bach? I can't remember. I don't know. Like I said, I couldn't. I didn't really know was the score. So well, they, they used a lot of classical music. Um. Yeah, they used a lot of classical music in some like uh, rock, um, some like you know John Denver style music. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I think it was all like from what I could tell, it was all licensed music. I didn't even notice the score in That's there. That's a way to go, frankly. Yeah, um, that actually kind of reminds me of uh, of Tarantino a little bit. Yeah. Um. But. Yeah, no. Honestly, it was done really well. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What was your What was your favorite part <laughs> of the movie? Yeah, uh, I think I liked the initial um, her initial journey to go rescue him in Korea, and uh, yeah, I, I think and- that was my favorite part. Um, then it became, you know, I was sort of dreading watching it because, like, I you know, I already knew. Yeah, yeah, I already knew what I was getting myself into. I was like, okay, it's a boy and a dog. Boy and his dog movie combined with factory farming. I was sort of like dreading the scenes because I knew like what it was going to be horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I liked that moment. I liked that sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, It was interesting to me. I didn't expect it to have a double ending. It didn't. One moment was not clarified for me. Mm-hmm. And that's that they didn't save Okja, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, that sequence of shots there in the alleyway where Paul Dano was getting the shit beat out of him and, yeah, it doesn't make it into the truck. Yeah. It doesn't make it clear that they got Okja. Okja, the last you saw of her, she was she's flopped on the ground. Yeah, she's and then you're like, wait, did she just get uh, run over by the box truck that they were using? Yeah. Um, but no, then you have a shot of her in a box truck, even though what was pulling her was like a Jeep with like a wench or something like that. Right. So you, you're sort of confused for a moment there. I'm like, they saved her and they're just driving away. And that's like, no, okay. we didn't save her. Actually, that was um, my favorite scene. Okay. Um, just because I loved, well, fuck I, your favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, I think you're kind of right where like, um, it isn't super clear that Okja wasn't saved. Yeah. Uh, but the reason that's, that, that's my favorite scene is because, uh, uh, because of kind of the journey of Paul Dano's character and like up to that point, you kind of, you kind of question questioning his sincerity of whether this is like an image for him or whether this is like something that he really believes and like in this moment where like um like where where you see him kind of you know he's trying to save okja he gets like clubbed over the head right and he's getting Mm -hmm. dragged away by these guys and he like he fights off of them not to save okja but to save mija the little girl yeah right and that part to me was just so um so indicative of his character and showed like how much this person cares about life and what he actually thinks of it you know and seeing this person like this like leader of the ALF right struggling out not to save their mark you know to make their message but to like save this little girl yeah you know um like that was that was what was very inspiring to me. Well, yeah, you he know? definitely goes on a journey as well, you know. And uh, I think yeah. the moment where he 
I think he learns from her, frankly, in that moment where she stops him from hitting Ja with the mic stand. Right. And uh, he learns something there. And I think that's what I mean about almost sort of the pessimism, which is sort of the bittersweeted thing in the movie, which is yeah, it's their love. It's their, their you know, love is family, hers and Okja's. That's the admirable thing. And he's admirable too. Um, and he, he's good hearted, but he has to learn about that. And that's the thing we're saving rather than the big effort with the the cameras and everything, you know, like that's worth right. as much as anything else that's worth going to prison for. Right. Right. And, well, and uh, I think that was like, that was the, the difference, right? Because when you see his character before and when, when, kind of when you see all these other characters, they're, they're talking about their mission and, you know, how like, this is an awesome mission. It's so cool. Like think about mm-hmm. all the press they're going to get, like they came halfway across the world for this pig. They're not leaving it here, you know? And he's like, he's kind of the only one saying, look, if she doesn't want to do this, you know? Yeah. Her, him and the girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the red, where, red. That's yeah. Name. Red. Yeah. But, um, um and they also have that moment where they're like, fuck, what did we do this? What did we do to Okja? You know, when right. we're watching her get raped. Right. And um, they feel guilty. You know, they feel like, damn, we maybe we this screwed wasn't up. Working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they learn, you know. Right. That's the but, point. Like, you kind of feel like everything is, like, maybe image oriented for him. Like, even, mm. even like, you're kind of wondering if he is righteous or if he is self-righteous, right? Sure. Um. And he has, I, I think all of his, in, all of his moments can be interpreted as either um, throughout the whole film until that moment in the alleyway where it becomes clear. Right. But like literally everything, even like him kicking the shit out of uh, Steven Yuen's character. Yeah. Right. Where like that could have just been his like, you know, guilt coming up from just witnessing that scene and he's taking it out on someone. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't like you know like maybe he knew um that he lied earlier you know or something like that and uh he definitely yeah it comes full circle yeah yeah and and i like this moment where you where you really realize like how good of a human being this person is yeah you know and in his suits he's always in a suit right (laughs) um um but I love his, uh, what was his insult towards the lady at the end where he was saying that like she was oh yeah, making him reconsider his, I don't know. I don't, I don't Respect remember. Respect for like uh, all living things. Yeah. <laughs> like he might, oh yeah. It was like, he might make an exception for her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like he can't even like say, I, I hope you die or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, also great. one thing we have yet to really go into is the cg oh yeah it's it done exceptionally well yeah um it's really up there with like things i've seen recently like detective pikachu yeah and um also i want to mention i that, haven't uh, seen any of the the disney like live action shit yet, yeah yeah with like the lion king and everything I, but uh, from what i was watching it looked like it was on that level frankly yeah so, um one thing i want to mention too is that with it uh, would be hell to hmm? film something like this Oh wait, wait what? It would be hell to film something like this without oh, having yeah. a fucking character in the scene. You know what I mean? This <laughs> yeah. is all done in post. It's insane and like good on the actors, man. Yeah, for, for real. Um, but the one thing I want to mention about this director is that um, Okja was most likely not the only CG source in this film. Um, like when you look at the behind the scenes of Parasite, 
like the amount of CG that they use is absurd. You know, like everything, everything from just like street replacements to entire backdrop replacements to like house replacements to, you know, sky replacements and all this kind of stuff where they're really building their set to be exactly what they want it to look like. And I think, I think that's what really separates this guy in terms of, um, hmm. what's his name? Bon Jun Ho. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. What really separates him from, uh, other directors that kind of heavily delve into CG is that he's so, um, he's so image oriented and like, it really makes sense. Like if you look at James Cameron, you look at avatar, you're like, okay, you know, that makes sense. That makes sense that there's all these background replacements that makes sense that they're spending so much time doing all the CG here. But for him, he's like going to a random street and like extending it out. So it looks like a rich street. And this is like the only house that's on that street, you know, parasite. And that's the kind of thing that like, you know, really sets his films apart. I think is that like, he's so, uh, uh, precise about exactly what he's showing to the point where he will literally create it um, in the set rather than kind of like deal with a um, half right location. Sure. You know, and honestly, that's something that I really want to learn from him. Um, yeah. The exactitude. That's, yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. interesting. And it like, is, it is something to be said though, that that's just happening more and more as well. Like, I remember watching behind the scenes of Wolf of Wall Street and just like the insane amount of CG they used in that, you know, and mm-hmm. you're just like, what the, what the hell, you know, can't we just shoot some people? <laughs> you know, that's my response. <laughs> Even well, though yeah. I see what you're saying about it being admirable. Or have but. you seen Barry? Uh, Barry, that rings a bell. I think I have. What is it about? Uh, it's it's about this like hitman that wants to become an actor. It's on HBO. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I've yeah. seen both seasons. <laughs> right. Yeah. Perfect. Um, but that episode with the, uh, with that Taekwondo instructor. Mm. Um, that had a bunch of CG, like that whole like tree that the girl climbs up is all CG. It's crazy. Know? And yeah, it's stuff like yeah, that. Is it like after effects or is it CG? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, no, I think, I think the CG was like a green screen climbing wall, oh, you know, okay. and they just like, they just like found a house that they liked and they're like, but there needs to be a tree. Let's just like make one. Yeah. You know? sure. <laughs> sure. And it's cool that I think like a lot of stuff like that's happening now where you can just like be so much more. Like you yeah. can kind of breathe something from that was just in your ima- imagination into, into reality. Life. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can do, you could do that in After Effects. I, I bet they did, frankly. Right. Right. So, um, but it's crazy. Yeah. I assume, I don't know. I, I think that's interesting. Uh, because as far as I've gone, like, um, with Reaper and stuff, it's, it's been so, that was one of the biggest challenges for us was finding good locations, you know? And we spent yeah. so much time doing that. And if we if we had access to like kind of what people are doing now, which I mean, I mean, it was only like a couple of years, but, you know, and, you know, if we had the money to do that, which we didn't, but um, like, it's so interesting what you can do now and how, you know, you can just find like all you got to do is find really find like 15 percent of what you need for your set. And then the rest of it can be <laughs> CG. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I love that, you know, it's going to open up a lot of avenues for some really insane, um, awesome films, you know, definitely. And also just the amount of enhancement you can do. Like I, I was even thinking I had an idea about a sort of horror film 
And I guess I'll say some of my idea, but it was essentially about a guy who sort of gets befriended by demons, but the demons are sort of like um, uh, mascots, you know? So they're like guys in mascot suits, essentially. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah. But I was thinking like you could just make the mascot suits and then you just enhance it. You could just enhance certain things in After Effects to make right. it a little, a little bit better, a little bit more otherworldly. Right. So. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's definitely, uh, definitely level it up very interesting yeah but um yeah no the cg was great the music was great the cinematography is amazing this guy's just a really amazing director um yeah i mean he won best picture for parasite um honestly i think he's going to continue to just make masterpieces uh he is a little pessimistic for my taste um you know like i i always thought uh, there's a bittersweet, you know, even yeah, at the definitely, end of Snowpiercer, definitely. there's a, um, there's a sun in the horizon. Oh, uh, Snowpiercer. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't, wasn't there like a contention between the ending with him and, uh, what was it? Harvey Weinstein. I don't think it's the, the exact ending though. Okay. I don't think, uh, Bong Joon-ho has them like dead or something. Yeah. Well, From what yeah. I understand. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see when we, if he gets to direct or send out the director's cut, which I actually think is kind of likely now. Well, I uh, think it's already there because Weinstein only had U.S. rights, if I'm if I'm correct. So I oh, think really? if you would just were able to get a, a region free disc of the director's cut, That'd I can be look cool. it up later. Though. Well, if if we're gonna if we're ever gonna do an episode on Snowpiercer, I think we should do the director's cut for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. But yeah, no, uh, yeah, so. I don't know. I th- what's mo- what's this movie for him? Is it number four? In terms of what he's made? Yeah. Parasite was five, uh, right? I think he's made more than that. I don't know if these are short films on his thing, but. Okay. Uh, in terms of like, there's three really big ones that everyone knows about, right? The international mm. hits, you know, yeah. Snowpiercer, Oakja, and Parasite. But he also did Memories of Murder, The Host, Mother, uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite, uh, Tokyo. And then there's these other ones, which I'm opening up right now. And I don't know if they're actual movies. Okay. But yeah, he's been going for a while. You know, sometimes success comes at the beginning of the middle of a career. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah. Tokyo's a movie. Uh, he has incoherence here. It's only 31 minutes. So I'm guessing. Yep. Short. So he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. seven oh, movies. wow. Okay. And his first one was mother. In what year? 2009. So it's been going for about a decade. Okay. That's cool. It is. I was a sophomore <laughs> <laughs> in high school. But what were you, a freshman? Yeah. I was 14, so. You're 14? So. Yeah, I was yeah. a freshman, right? Yeah. But. Yeah, no. All right. Well, I think that's, I think we're puttering it out here, so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, next time. Next yeah, week. we will be doing a best of the decade list, uh, for the 2010s and which we might we'll, be, we might do split that up into two episodes. I think. We yeah, we'll record that. it at once, but it might be two episodes. You're completely correct. And I think we yeah. should shoot for top 25. Um, yeah, we'll see. So we'll, we'll see how much time we have, but cause last yeah. time we thought we could do 15 each and you know, it ended up well, we did, we did in a sense. Yeah, well, I we mean, were It'd be about twelve. It'd yeah. be about twelve an episode <laughs> if we did it this way. So yeah, I think that'll work. So that'll be the next one or two episodes, 
And then after that, if you guys want to watch ahead, so you can keep pace with us, we're going to do David Fincher's seven. Yeah. So that will be in two or three weeks. Very excited for that one. But yeah, that's it guys. So I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah. Enjoy the director's uh, interview. (laughs) Yeah. Bye guys. All right. Bye. Hey everyone. Kuwait here again. Like Nick just pointed out, we're about to transition to the director interview. There's a link to this in the description below. It's from the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Enjoy. Let's talk about Okja because you had said that it started with one specific image in your mind. What was that? 그 운전 중에 이제 그 이렇게 그 되게 흐린 도시에 이제 서울의 그 무역해 흐린 날 이렇게 되게 큰 사이즈의 뭐 정말 집채만하게 큰 사이즈의 어떤 돼지가 고가도로 밑에서 되게 우울한 표정으로 있는 그런 이미지로 봤는데 뭐 제가 약을 하거나 뭐 마리와나를 하는 사람은 전혀 아니에요. 근데 가끔 그런 헛것을 보거든. So one day I was driving and it was a very foggy gray day in Seoul and I saw an, a huge pig the size of a house looking very depressed under a freeway and I was not on any substances. Sometimes I have these visions. <웃음> 그, 이제 그 이미지에 되게 사로잡혀가지고 어, 사실 괴물 호스트 같은 경우도 어떤 이제 그 한강 다리 교각에 매달려 있는 어떤 이상한 생물체를 봤다 본것 같은 착각이지 뭐 그것도 고등학교 때 착각인데 그런 착각에 의해서 시작된 아이디어였는데 이것도 이제 그런 이미지 하나에 집착을 해서 시작이 된 거예요. 그런데 이제 왜 돼지가 이렇게 클까? 돼지를 생명체가 아니라 식품으로 보는 그런 약간 그 어떤 산업적인 그러니까 잔인한 관점으로 봐서 식품으로 봤을 때 크기라는 거는 이제 상품성과 관련이 있는 거잖아요. 그 다음에 또왜 슬픈 얼굴을 하고 있을까? 어, 왜 제가 우울할까? 이런 것을 자꾸 반복적으로 생각하면서 이제 이런 이제 이상한 스토리가 만들어지게 된 거죠. 예. So I was very captivated by that image with the host as well. When I was in high school, I thought I saw a very strange creature dangling from the Han River Bridge. And like, and similarly, Okja began with my obsession for this one image. And I kept wondering why the pig was so big. Um, and then I thought of the food industry's cruel perspective on animals, where, where they view these creatures not as living things, but as food products. And of course, for them, size is directly tied to product value. And then I ended up thinking about why the pig looked so sad and depressed, and repeatedly thinking about this came, uh, led me to this very strange story of Okja. And one of the things that you did to prep or for research, you went to a slaughterhouse, I know, in, um, in the US, in Colorado. In Colorado, yeah. What, they call it uh, the beef plant. Beef plant, yeah. yeah. Not, they never call it slaughterhouse. Oh, beef plant, yes, yeah. yes. They and, call uh, it beef plant, and they are very proud of it. In 그 이렇게 거기 최신 장비로 되게 현대적으로 잘 갖춰 있고 또 이렇게 휴메인 소사이어티 같은 그런 NGO들의 승인도 받은 곳이에요. 그러니까 동물의 고통을 최소화하려고. 그러니까 되게 잘 되어 있는 그 도살장이에요. 그러니까 무슨 그런데도 실제 가서 보면 되게 무서워요. 되게 끔찍하고. 
So it was a modern facility with the latest equipment, and they were actually approved by the Humane Society NGOs for minimizing the pain that these animals would have to go through. So it was a very well-functioning and kept slaughterhouse, but even then, it was very scary being there. So, you know, it might sound to people like the underlying point of the movie for you was to comment on the treatment of animals, but what I think you've talked about is that it's more about the economic system that would lead to such a systematic slaughter of animals, right? Mm. So, of course, I'm a huge animal lover. I have a dog at home, and I do believe that everyone should eat less meat. But my intention wasn't to declare that everyone should become a vegan and that eat, eating meat is bad. What I really wanted to explore was the process that these, uh, the meat that we have on our table, the process that they go through. They were once animals, and there are people that um, see a huge profit in that, uh, through that process of them becoming food products. And so my intention was to dissect the food industry. Mm.